This podcast is presented to you by Fuller Seminary. Now available, the Fuller Leadership Scholarship for students who begin the Certificate of Christian Studies in spring of 2019 or summer of 2019. This new scholarship will cover up to 100% of certificate's tuition cost for select students and is designated for ministry and marketplace leaders looking for new ways to impact their congregation, community, and calling. Take courses in the areas like missional churches and leadership, Christian ethics, dynamics of power and gender in Christian leadership. For more information, visit fuller.edu backslash leadership scholarship. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Conversations. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship through interviews with people doing groundbreaking work and renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from ministers, authors, and practitioners from across the fellowship and beyond. This is Andy Hale. This week's podcast conversation is brought to you by the Baptist Commons of Wake Forest University School of Divinity. Several School of Divinity alumni have thrived within Baptist life, serving in significant positions of leadership in local churches and in larger denominational organizations. The school's newly launched Baptist Commons program draws on this success, fostering opportunities for mentoring and internships so students can network with alumni and other Baptist leaders. The Baptist Commons honors the school's Baptist heritage and its role in fostering excellence among diverse communities of Baptists. To find out more, visit divinity.wfu.edu. Our guest for this week's conversation is Kyle Eidelman. He's the teaching pastor at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. He's also the author of four books, including the bestsellers, Not a Fan, and The End of Me. Kyle, welcome to the conversation. Hey, it's uh, great to spend some time with you. Thanks for having me. Well, I guess the best way to divide our audience is for me to ask, go cards or wildcats? <laughs> yeah, that does start on a divisive note. Now, I'm a cards fan I, uh, here in Louisville. Uh, if you grew up in Kentucky or in Louisville, Kentucky, you're, you're more likely to be Kentucky fan. But if you move here to Louisville, it's, it's, uh, it's hard not to be a Louisville fan. Okay. Just, I mean, it's, it's a, a deep sigh of relief for, for many of us that you're not going to the, uh, the evil empire there, but, uh, so, uh, so how does a guy like you end up at one of the largest churches in the country? Well, you know, um, I, I was originally a church planner and, um, and loved planting a church it's in Los Angeles County, North LA County, where I planted a church and, um, I was, was really enjoying that. I was I was young though, super young, and too young to probably have uh, had any right to do it. Um, and there was a lot I needed to learn, a lot of ways I needed to grow. And I uh, I'm very thankful that that um, that God kind of directed my path to a church where I could uh, be around some um, pastors and some leaders that could um, teach me some things and could help me uh, grow and set an example for me as not just a pastor, but as a father and as a husband. And, and uh, so I was a, a church planter. That church is doing incredibly well today, um, which I'm so thankful for. Uh, but then came to Southeast. And so it was a little bit of like a uh, cult, cultural uh, whiplash. You know, it's going from um, church planting world to, um, you know, more of a mega church context. And, uh, and yet, you know, my 
my conclusion pretty quickly would be that the stories are very similar. You know, the, the people that you're talking to, context could be different, but the struggles are very, very much the same. And, uh, and so I've been here now for, let's see, uh, uh, 16 years ish. And, uh, and then this year I'll transition into the role of senior pastor here. So another change on the horizon, uh, but, but feel very fortunate to, to serve here. Hmm. So Southeast is, as, as y'all have indicated, the fifth largest congregation in the nation. What, what do you think makes y'all so successful? Uh, you know, I sure try hard not to presume upon on that. You know, that feels that that question always makes me a little nervous. I I, I am a believer that you know we plant the seed and water the seed. God's the one who makes it grow, and that you know that success as a, a church is is not really defined by how many how many people come. And uh, you know, I, I I know that as a church planter, I had to learn pretty early on that I'm I'm not going to measure success by how many people are going to show up, but, uh, you know, but by our faithfulness, what God's called us to do. And, um, and so, you know, we try really hard to be faithful to, to, um, to what he's called us to do here. And, and then we, we sure, sure try to humbly depend upon him for, for growth and to, you know, be thankful and grateful for the years where that, that happens and and to be the same for the years where it doesn't uh, happen quite as 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 easily or perhaps dramatically um but you know just uh working to have a humble spirit of dependence recognizing that you know whatever god does is not because of us but in in spite of us and um and we just want to be be faithful to it well, I'm sure some of your work as a church starter helped prepare you for this transition. What, I mean, what do you think the aspect of church starting in your journey helped prepare you for this transition? You know, I'd say the biggest thing that helped me was learning to, um, you know, focus on people one at a time. I, I, after coming to Southeast, I had a kind of a season of just feeling a little bit disillusioned and uh, kind of missing the church plant world. And, and uh, I, I, kind of discovered that the the reason for it was I was not I was spending a lot of time with crowds of people but I was needing to work a little bit more intentionally to spend time one-on-one -on -one with people and uh, so I wasn't as naturally engaged in life change I wasn't as naturally connecting to to people on a personal basis and um, you know, as I was reading through the Gospels I just really came to the conviction of the, the, you know, the ministry approach of Jesus was a one at a time approach. So much of the real estate in the gospels is committed to just telling us one story at a time. And, um, and so I, I really reverted back to what was necessary in church planting. I mean, that's how you did it. You, you it was one at a time stuff. And, um, and I found that, uh, at a, at a large church, that's still really um, what helps you stay focused and what helps you uh, know how to preach and teach and what to, to say. It's what gets me up in the morning. And so, you know, being more intentional to connect with people one at a time, treating, you know, a, a, a large church with kind of that small church uh, uh, 
commitment of, you know, knowing names and listening to stories and uh, connecting with people on that level uh, was, was, you know, was really significant for me. And I I know that church planting taught me to to do that. That's encouraging to hear. I mean, I I think that's one of the the struggles a lot of people have with large congregations is, you know, yeah, the feeling, you know, I'm just a drop in the ocean, if you will. Um, you know, so how do y'all see Southeast connecting with people on a, on a personal level? You know, I, I think it, it begins with just a commitment to it. Um, the, uh, you know, it requires that to be a, a value, uh, but you have to work at it. Like, so I would say at, at, a, at you know, at a lot of churches, um, it, you, you, you almost have to have more protection so that you you don't overdo some of that, and uh, and then a large church it, it can it can sometimes be the opposite where you can spend a lot of your time with with crowds or with groups and uh, and not as much time one on one. So an example that comes to mind is you know when I first came here I would I would stand out in the lobby and I would shake hands and greet people and say hello and and uh, as they would come in and out and and then a number of years ago I switched that and I just you know, I, I talked to my assistant. I said, hey, I, I, I want to try something different. Anyone that wants to meet with me, I want to meet with them. So, you know, let's start let's start scheduling those appointments before and after church and uh, different different services. And so now, you, you know, 30, 40 minutes before a service starts and 30, 40 minutes after a service starts, I'll sit down and get to meet with, you know, one or two different people and, and uh, pray for them and talk to them more uh, pastorally about their, um, you know, what's going on in their life as opposed to just kind of shaking hands and, and saying hello. So I don't know if you knew this, but you've got a, a book, uh, that comes out on March the 5th. <laughs> I, I have heard that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we were kind of uh, joking before. It's kind of like as a minister, when you, you know, you preach a sermon a week later, you've forgotten about it, but somebody <laughs> wants to ask you a specific question about the one you preached before, but um, so th- this book, uh, Don't Give Up, Faith, that gives you confidence to keep believing and the courage to keep going. Uh, this is a, a challenging book that invites readers to consider the biblical narrative and everyday people that are facing the edge of quitting. I wonder if you might share what, what was going on in your life that you felt like you needed to write a book around this theme? You know, really, it came out of what I was referencing just a few mon- minutes ago. It really came out of sitting down with people for years and um, keeping track of some stories. In fact, I, I'll jot down on my phone the person's name and a few things I might have said to them and how I want to pray for them. Uh, and I've I've done this, you know, week after week after week, hundreds of stories. And uh, at the end of 2017, I was just kind of reviewing some of them, didn't plan to do it, just had my phone out and I started going through them and I noticed just the strong thread that almost every story that my words to them were words of encouragement, speaking courage into them. My words were don't give up words. And, you know, sometimes it was a a marriage or sometimes it was a health issue. Sometimes it was a, a faith crisis. Um, Sometimes it was joblessness or an addiction, but whatever the struggle was, I just found that consistently what people needed to hear was that don't give up message. Um, to be more specific with that, I, I, I found that people would hear don't give up from friends and family in a, in a, what I would call a more comforting way, you know, that they would, I'm so sorry for what you're going through. 
Um, I hate that this happened to you. Uh, it, it more, more comforting. And what I found was that what people were sometimes missing was was a um, a courage a, a courage call a not so much an arm around the shoulder but you know a grabbing somebody by the shoulders and saying hey don't give up now now's not the time to quit and uh, you know the image that I might use would be uh, of a player and you know at the end of a basketball game and you know they're exhausted and they're cramping up and you know the the coach wants to say don't give up but he doesn't say hey I'm so sorry for what you're going through have a seat on the bench and get something to drink you know he says hey you've done great but game's not over get back out there you know give it all you've got leave it all on the court and and so there's a difference I think they're not mutually exclusive but there's a difference between you know don't give up in a comforting way and don't give up in a courageous way. And I, I wanted to write a book that was more speaking courage into rather than the pastoral comfort. That's important. There's some great resources that accomplish that. But I just saw the need to, you know, not necessarily give sympathy, but give strength to to someone who is feeling disheartened. Well, the last couple of years, I think, um, we see the stress and strain that happens with high profile kinds of speakers and writers. And, um, you know, so I wonder if you might speak to, you know, the challenges that, that you might face of, of giving up or, uh, the conflict sure. and crisis that you might struggle with that, that this book almost as a, uh, as a declaration of, of what you have discovered. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, um, as a church planter, I, I first became a little bit discouraged and disillusioned when I was by myself. And so one of the first things I learned in ministry is that if you're doing it alone, you know, you're not going to go very far. I don't know who said that. The idea that, you know, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And I, I figured that out pretty early on that if I'm going to do this by myself, I'm not going to last. And, uh, and so, you know, almost immediately, uh, then having um, a, a friend, a brother, a, a comrade to work with and to uh, to be a part of that church plant with me you know, was a huge difference, Make uh, made a huge difference. But the, the impact, of course, lasting impact is just to understand in, in ministry or any kind of leadership, really, you know, if you're doing it alone, um, you're you're setting yourself up. You're going to become, you know, perhaps burn out, but you're not going to have people around you to, to pick you up when you fall. You're not going to have uh, people around you to, to spur you on, encourage you when you need it. Um, and, and so I learned that pretty early on. I'm, I'm really thankful at, at uh, the church where I serve at Southeast to, to feel like that is a, a high value, that there is a, you know, a, a brotherhood of, um, of sorts that, that, speaks courage and strength into one another. And um, yeah, I was, I was looking at from Hebrews uh, 10, where it says, let us spur one another on uh, towards love and good deeds. And the, the word spur is, um, it's like, it's like irritate, it's pr- provoke. It, it's not necessarily typically used in a positive context. And, and so I'm, I'm thankful for, you know, having, 
co-laborers uh, with me that will sometimes spur me on more, more irritate, more provoke, not, not always positive, but they, they keep, keep me, uh, keep me uh, in the lane and um, keep me focused and moving forward. So I'm thankful for that. Um, the other thing I would say is that there was a time for me about five years ago uh, where I was feeling that way. I was just, I was just tired. It was kind of a combination of, of things at church and things at home. And was, you know, I was just kind of struggling with, um, you know, fatigue and, and, and some discouragement. And, um, I, I took my family and we had this really cool opportunity to go to Haiti for eight weeks, um, and work with some Haitian pastors there that we had supported. And so the, uh, there's a Haitian pastor there. His name is Idri that I got to spend just a ton of time with for almost every day with for about eight weeks and just kind of, um, doing church with him. And, um, as I spend time with him, you know, it was a humbling thing, right? Like it gave me perspective that I was lacking, um, that I, I was spending too much time probably feeling a little bit sorry for myself and not enough time recognizing how much I had to be grateful for. Um, and so one of the things I, I think can help pastors, I can help people in leadership in particular, is is to get some perspective where you you can spend some time with people who are battling and struggling and, and you know, are challenged in ways that you can't even imagine. And yet they're doing it with with joy and grace and um, and strength. Uh, for me, it, you know, that part of that is reading, uh, you know, biographies of of um, kingdom workers and uh, hearing their stories of you know, what they've endured and, and how God was faithful. Um, but, but I would say making sure I keep perspective um, has, has had a big impact. This podcast is presented to you by the Center for Congregational Health. At the Center, we believe God has called and empowered congregations to change the world. For 25 years, Center consultants, coaches, and educators have been supporting congregations, clergy, and lay leaders as they meet the ongoing challenges of congregational life, including training ministers to manage transition, helping congregations work through polarizing conflict, coaching clergy to discover and utilize their gifts for ministry, and assisting congregations in discerning God's call to future missions and ministry. Center consultants and coaches don't dispense expert advice. Instead, they recognize the uniqueness of each congregation and work to create the space needed for God's people to discern and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Please visit our website, healthychurch.org, to learn more about the center and find the help you need in order to thrive in missions and ministry. You talk a lot about faith in the book, and you wrote faith that gives you confidence to keep believing and the courage to keep going is not faith in life circumstances. It's faith in God's character. How has faith been redefined for you? You know, I, I guess there's this underlying assumption for probably most of us at some point that, you know, faith means that God's going to work things out the way I want him to, you know, that there's, there's this picture out there that's coming together. And, and that's, you know, the picture is what I want the picture to be. In the book, I, I talk about um, going to my grandmother's house and when I was a kid and she would have these puzzles uh, that she kept in Ziploc bags. She would work the puzzles, uh, leave them out for a while, but instead of putting them in boxes, she just put them in a Ziploc bag and, and there's nothing else to do. I'd dump all the, the pieces of the puzzle out, try to work this 
puzzle, but I didn't have the picture on the box. And, you know, the, the frustration of trying to work a puzzle where you don't have a picture, you don't know what the pieces are forming. Um, you know, it, it's almost impossible. You just, you get a few pieces together, but but you don't know what it looks like. And so, uh, you know, it's easy to give up. And, and the way I would describe it is that that faith is it's working on the puzzle when you don't have the picture on the box. It, it's um, continuing to put the pieces together, even though you don't quite see uh, how they're all going to interlock and, and what kind of picture is going to uh, happen. And and so for me, you know, that is a, a, a metaphor for what faith looks like, that we, you know, we have these pieces, God isn't going to waste a piece. So we're going to faithfully uh, keep putting them together, trusting that his picture is, is going to make sense at some point, even if it's a lot different than the picture we might have originally had in mind. You, um, you spoke a good bit about community, and I think I think one of the challenges people face as they're sifting through this cesspool of conflict and chaos in their lives is a lack of community. Yeah, and I agree. About this in the, the context of Hebrews 12, the great cloud of witness text, you wrote, these witnesses do not jump and pump their fists and cheer. They have real words of power to speak into our struggles. Sometimes their words may not be the ones we wish for at the moment, but they're always the ones we need. Let's talk about this a little bit more. People's need for healthy community during crisis, but often the lack of healthy community. I wonder, how, how do you cut across the individualized, Americanized Christianity that we see so prevalent today and into a, a community approach, um, the more authentic way that we see within the New Testament? Yeah, you know, I, I, mean, I think you're hitting on something that, that is uh, is really underestimated. I think it's it's really significant. I here's how I see it un, um, unfold as a pastor is is that people will recognize this and the importance of it, but it's often when they're in the middle of a storm, something has happened that's really difficult, and they want that community. But if it's not a community they already have, it's really difficult. So it's not necessarily the people who are there with you. It's the people who are already there that are able to 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 be with you. And so it's it's uh, I think part of the challenge is that that what you just said about our our need for uh, each other becomes clear at some point if if we get discouraged and disillusioned when life gets hard but but in large part it requires preemptive commitment it's it's being a part of community before those things happen um you know one of the one of the couple of different things that we really have tried to to focus on and as a church is is uh the value of praying for each other um you know, this is a, a way that we can uh, help carry one another's burdens um, that we, you know, identify three or four specific people we're going to pray for each week. And we're going to ask people to specifically pray for us um, that when when we do that in a vulnerable way, when it's not just say hey, I'm praying for you, but hey, I, I need you to pray for me because I'm you know, I'm having this struggle with my son and I'm not really sure how to handle the situation, you know, that, that, that invites a deeper level of community. So if we can pray for each other in, in a measured and in a uh, vulnerable way, it, it moves us in that direction. 
another value that we talk about is, is showing up for each other, that there's just no real substitute uh, for, for, for showing up when, um, you know, when, when someone is going through something um, or if it's even just, um, you know, uh, a kid's game or something, but you're, you show up for another person and it goes a long way. Uh, what I see sometimes is people want other others to show up for them. So, right. If I go into a, make a call at a hospital, somebody's, you know, there's been an accident and, and they, they are frustrated because no one's there, right? Like the people from the church haven't come and they feel like, you know, they need some support. And, you know, what you can't say in that moment, but what is reality, you know, the question is, who have you showed up for? Uh, it, it's, it is probably unrealistic to think that community is going to happen, that people are going to show up for you if you're not showing up for them. Um, it's not spiteful. It, it's, it's, just, it's just the way community works. And when we show up for others, other people show up for us. So when I, I go to a hospital and make a call and their waiting room is full of a small group, you know, I can't find an empty seat. It, it's because you know, they're showing up for someone who's been showing up for them. And, you know, that, that value of showing up for is just, a, in my mind, a very tangible way uh, to, to, to live this out. The American church is, is a diverse thing for many people. I mean, that's what's so hard when people talk about the church. You're like, okay, what particular tradition, what particular context? You know, but for some, they feel like they want to be part of a local faith community, but the response they have experienced is more of uh, of a closed door than an open and inclusive set of doors open. So how might we better equip um, the doors of our churches, the metaphorical doors of our churches, if you will, to be to be more open and less closed off? And at the same time, how might we encourage people who have felt like the church has closed its doors? How might we encourage them um, moving forward? Yeah, you know, the, uh, yeah, I'm reminded of the, the passage in Hebrews. It says, um, you know, be sure that no one misses the grace of God so that no bitter root begins to grow. And, um, you know, in, in our churches, uh, having that um, commitment to be intentional, I um, and, and what you just spoke of, I, I think is important. It begins by owning some things, um, by acknowledging that even if it wasn't at this church, I recognize that, you know, many of the people who are listening uh, had some church experiences where they felt like the, the door got shut. And, um, and, and if I, and whether it's fair or not, that can be associated with me as a pastor or with us as a church. So, you know, let me own some of these things and, and um, let me ask for forgiveness and let me acknowledge that, you know, you know, maybe the way your mother was treated after her divorce at the church you went to um, wasn't right. And, you know, acknowledging it goes a long way. Um, the other thing I would say is, you know, that there's, there's something very contagious about, um, about vulnerability. If I can get, you know, if I'm in church and, you know, if I'm with a hundred people at, at, uh, at church and I can get one or two of them to, to share somewhat vulnerably about what's going on in their life. It, um, it allows everyone else, gives everyone else permission to know, Hey, this is safe. I can, I can talk through some things. Um, but if the opposite is true, 
if you get those people all together and nobody is is that way, then it also sends a message to everyone else. Hey, you know, this isn't, you know, masks need to go on and this really is a safe place. Um, and, and so as leaders, I think we have an opportunity to set that to set that tone, to create some space. And, you know, the, the vulnerability allows for deeper levels of, of community. Um, and if we're willing to, um, to do that to, uh, to an appropriate degree, it can, it can certainly um, give freedom for others to do it as well. I think one of the challenges the church faces today is the relevancy of, of Jesus' message to the poor, the marginalized, the outcast, and the victims of injustice. These are real conflicts and crises in our community and in the world. So how might this book be a tool for local churches wanting to make a, a real difference in their communities and in the world? You know, I, I think recognizing that, you know, each of the the high felt needs that you just uh, acknowledge comes with a um, kind of a side effect of weariness that there, you know, there are a lot of weary, tired people and um, they are, you know, they're getting by and, you know, it's it's day to day. But, you know, it's not just the, you know, it's not just being poor uh, financially or materially, but there's just uh, recognizing that there is a, uh, a poverty in, in spirit. And, um, and then as a church, um, intentionally trying to, to bring encouragement and, um, and love into that instead of, you know, um, sometimes it's, um, ignorance where we're, we're not, we're not, we don't even want to know. We don't even want to understand. Uh, or sometimes it's, you know, uh, just writing a check and, and saying, well, I've, I've financially supported it, you know, to really encourage someone who is, who is weary and tired and struggling, uh, is to, uh, is to speak a word of encouragement. It is to, um, you know, to show an act of love in a way that is personal. Um, I'll give you an example of this. I, I, um, uh, it's been probably a year or two ago, a, a single mom, uh, reached out and, um, uh, her car broke down. She didn't have the money to fix it. And it really wasn't worth fixing anyway, but she couldn't take the bus because she had to take her, her child to uh, daycare and then get to work. And, um, and, and so she, she was just looking for some help. And it just so happened that I had uh, another person I didn't know is on social media who reached out and said, Hey, I, you know, I have a, a, a car that I, it's dependable and I don't really use it. If you know of somebody that could use it, you know, please, um, please let me know that. And so, um, you know, I said to the guy, I said, well, you know, we can't, uh, we can't give you a tax write off or anything, but I, I know of, uh, you know, a single, a single mom who is in a situation right now where that would make a big difference. And so his first response was, Hey, that's great. If you want to, if you want to come by here and I'll sign the title and, and, uh, over and, and give you the keys and you can, you can, uh, make sure she gets the car. That'd be awesome. And I said, you know, you know, let's, let's, let's do it this way. How about, you know, I meet you guys in a McDonald's parking lot and, um, you bring the car, you bring the title and I'll have her come as well. And, um, and, and that way you can, you can meet her and talk to her. And, you know, he, he was okay with that. Didn't seem too excited about it, but he was okay with it. And, you know, there was something that happened in that, you know, in the McDonald's parking lot that was not just, 
meeting a need, but it was encouraging. There was, you know, uh, that the personal connection um, had a had a significant impact on on both of them. And I know for him in particular, it it motivated him in a different way uh, to do more of this. That you know, when he knows the name and he sees the face you know, that, that allows, you know, for a deeper level of engagement. And for her, you know, it's not just, it's not just somebody, but, you know, she, she can connect it with someone who loved Jesus and wants to, uh, you know, be, be thoughtful and intentional. And, um, and so I, I think, I think those types of interactions, um, go a long way that it's, it's more, you know, it's more, personal. It's more, if I could go back to the one at a time uh, value, I, th- I think that brings, um, I think that brings a different level of courage. That's a wonderful story. I think the silver lining in that story is it didn't end with them going inside and eating McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, we didn't either. There's no <laughs> McRib sandwich. We, we, <laughs> we had church in the parking lot and that was it. Uh, what's uh, What's your greatest hope for the book? Uh, you know, honestly, it, uh, as I mentioned, uh, you know, initially, I, I really did write it for 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 the people that I talked to who, uh, you know, on just such a regular basis, who feel like giving up, and and you know, I would love for God to use it to encourage more than the people I talk to, uh, but that, you know, that honestly, that's that is my heart, that is my is my desire that I could, you know, the people that I know and care about and love. Um, and trying to encourage would be encouraged by it. And then my, my prayer would be that, that God would expand that because I know there are a, a, a lot more people like it. You know, the other, the other piece of that is I know that we, even if, you know, as a listener, you're not in the middle of that, you know, somebody who is, and sometimes it's difficult to know, you know, how to speak courage into them. And one of the reasons I, I really wanted the book just to be called, don't give up, it's because I, I want that, I want that to be a message that one person shares with another. And so even if they, even if they're not going to read the book, they know that you, um, you know, gave them this message of of don't give up. Well, for those listening to the podcast, we hope you'll go out and buy a McRib in Kyle's honor. You can uh, follow Kyle on Twitter and Facebook. Also check out kyleideman.com. Of course, go out and purchase a copy of Don't Give Up wherever books are sold. Kyle, thank you for challenging us to re-examine this thing we call faith and to bolster ourselves forward to have courage to face the challenges each day. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Well, that's it. That's our episode. Be sure to check out our annual sponsors website, the Center for Congregational Health at healthychurch.org and Fuller Seminary at fuller.edu. For more information about the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, including stories about our church starters, field personnel, leadership development, peer learning groups, and advocacy, visit cbf.net.